Hi, I'm Dr. Olga Pinkston, a board-certified rheumatologist and the host of the Mind Your Fiber podcast. This podcast is dedicated to fibromyalgia. I discuss up-to-date information about fibro, its treatment, the biology and psychology of the fibromyalgia. I cover the pain science education, the complementary and alternative methods available to you now to improve your symptoms. There are a lot of things that influence development of fibromyalgia trigger fiber flares, and produce other symptoms like IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, depression, and anxiety, and none of them are your fault. In the Mind Your Fiber podcast, you will learn how and why fiber develops, how chronic pain changes your brain, and most importantly, that you're not alone in the struggle, that fiber is real, and how to not let fiber control your life. This podcast provides information only and does not provide any medical or psychological services or advice. Well, welcome back to Mind Your Fibro podcast. Today, we continue our discussion on nutrition and fibromyalgia. Now, this is a new type of episode for me because I'm recording both for the podcast as well as YouTube channel. You can find the YouTube channel information in the show notes. This is a global snapshot of what I think about nutrition Uh, for fibromyalgia. Now, our society is inundated with different diets. We hear about new diets coming up almost yearly. We have popular diets like keto or low-carb or Atkins or Weight Watchers. And yet, uh, patients that I see in my clinic struggle with their nutrition. Patients who start the diet and quit the diet, they they always ask me questions about what they should be eating or not eating. So I want you to adapt a mentality that's not a diet mentality. I think of a diet as a as a rule book, what you can or cannot eat. And it's not as simple for patients who have chronic pain because the diets don't tell you what to do when you have a flare. And diets also add to stress and fear which is already a problem in patients who have fibromyalgia. Also, diets lack compassion and self-love. They add to shame and blame, and diets are not self-care. If you followed a, a diet in the past, you may feel frustrated that you keep falling off the diet wagon. You may also feel tired of diets, but you still need to lose weight. You also may feel that IBS or irritable bowel syndrome controls your life. You may have bloating, gas, abdominal pain, constipation, or diarrhea, but no amount of dietary restrictions help. But we know that healthy and consistent nutrition is one of the most powerful and strategic ways to make an impact on your health and symptoms as well as your overall health, weight, and quality of life. And this is why I'm talking about nutrition uh, in the next several episodes. The nervous system responsible to keep you safe, the sympathetic nervous system, or fight, flight, or freeze response, is often on in patients with fibromyalgia. It may be frequent or constant. And your nervous system is dysregulated, and stuck in overprotective mode. Digestion, though, happens during the relaxation time. It is driven by the parasympathetic nervous system that is responsible for rest and for relaxation. Your gut is part of the enteric nervous system. It has over 100 million nerve cells, and this is why we call it second brain. 
The first brain has direct effect on the stomach and the intestines, or the second brain. The gastrointestinal tract is sensitive to emotions as well as pain. Pain and feelings such as anger, anxiety, sadness, or happiness, all of these feelings and many others in pain can trigger symptoms in the gut. Also, gut microbiota or gut microbiome also is essential part of your health. It is the trillions of bacteria that reside within the gastrointestinal tract and it has effect on the immune system, metabolism, gastrointestinal disorders, brain disorders, behavior disorders, etc. Gut produces over 90% of neurotransmitters, serotonin, dopamine, GABA, and others, chemical messengers that let nerves communicate with each other, keep brain functioning, and affect the mood. To understand the effect of nutrition, we also have to review how trauma and stress and fibro are connected. This is a tail checklist, trauma and life events checklist. This checklist includes a list of common traumatic and stressful life events. So you can use this checklist to see if you had events in your life, uh, recent or childhood, that could qualify as a traumatic event. Some of the events listed are exposure to war, either as a military uh, serviceman or woman or as a civilian, uh, loss or permanent separation from someone close to you, uh, like a parent or caregiver, sudden or unexpected move or change in circumstances, like uh, moving schools or loss of a home. Uh, we see that often in military families who have to relocate a lot. Also, bullying or harassment in schools, work or on the street, uh, discrimination at the work or school, also humiliation, physical, violent or aggressive behaviors toward you, witnessing physical violence at home or aggression, but also uh, feeling unloved, unsafe, or unimportant during your childhood, going hungry or thirsty and not having clean clothes or safe place to stay during childhood, also sexual abuse or sexual contact that was unwelcome. As you can tell, this is a very comprehensive list of different circumstances that may happen to someone in life that can be traumatic. I also want to go over some of the less thought of traumatic events, such as medical trauma. I think medical trauma is often unrecognized and unappreciated when we talk about uh, stressful events or traumatic triggers. But medical trauma is very frequently seen uh, in patients who have fibromyalgia. It's not only traumatic events that happen uh, to you as a child. It may be a serious injury, uh, life-threatening or sudden. It can be a treatment that was traumatic, uh, like being on a ventilator. It can also be loss of control or shock from the diagnosis, life-threatening complications, unexpected medical intervention like a C-section, emergent surgery. Also, being in the hospital for some time can be traumatic. We don't think of being in the hospital as potentially trauma-inducing, 
But sometimes being alone in the hospital room with frequent checks and lab work and uh, procedures can be traumatic for somebody, especially if they have a already dysregulated nervous system. Also, perceived or actual mistreatment by medical providers, such as forced to receive unwanted intervention, receiving intervention that was poorly understood by the patient. So why is this all important? Because where there is a mental distress, there is digestive distress. This distress is bidirectional. If you have distress in the GI tract, it will affect your mental health. If you have mental distress, it will affect your gastrointestinal tract. I want to show you this diagram, which I think is very important to see as an overview of a psychology of trauma. Many of my patients tell me that symptoms of fibromyalgia or chronic pain developed over time. Usually it's a gradual accumulation of symptoms and some patients may have years prior to fibromyalgia diagnosis when they felt unhealthy or they had pain. We often have some triggering event that could trigger fibromyalgia such as in a car accident or stressful event at work or hospitalization or infection. Often uh, we start feeling uh, anxious. Often anxiety starts as a first symptom followed by depression. And depression may have a gradual onset or can be rather dramatic. The anxiety and depression often leads to insomnia and poor sleep. Patients often tell me that prior to diagnosis of fibromyalgia, they had years of poor sleep. They tossed and turned, they had bad dreams, they could not fall asleep or stay asleep, and over time, they also developed pain. I often don't see pain as initial symptom of fibromyalgia, but as a continuum after a stressful event. Now, some patients may start having pain as an initial symptom, but also see pain as a continuum of the symptom accumulation. As they have pain uh, coupled with poor sleep and depression, anxiety, they start having poor self-care. So self-care diminishes. Patients stop caring as much about their routines, their healthy habits. They start eating poorly. They might start drinking alcohol. This self-care becomes poor or non-existent. Once self-care diminishes, also comes up a lot of shame and often self-blame. I see patients blaming themselves for worsening of the symptoms because they're not eating right, they're not exercising, they're feeling ashamed for feeling so much pain or discomfort. They may feel shame, starts having self-blame about their habits or or self-care. And then often it leads to numbing or buffering. Numbing may present with overeating or stress eating or drinking alcohol or uh, using other substances to try to cope with the discomfort. So diminished self-care leads to shame, blame, and numbing. And when we experience all these negative emotions, it's very hard to eat healthy. When we have shame and blame and it leads to numbing, it's hard to choose healthy foods like blueberries and avocados because it's not the foods that we tend to eat when we're trying to numb our negative emotions or feelings. Usually when we start numbing our feelings, we tend to choose foods that we know that are not as healthy, but they serve as an emotional buffer. It may be soft drinks, it may be lots of sugar or fried foods or, or junk food, but we often think of these types of food as comfort foods because they do temporarily produce a dopamine increase 
as well as satisfaction, sense of comfort. So let's talk about numbing or buffering. Numbing is when you're trying to replace negative emotions or feelings or pain through something external, like food, television, social media, shopping, sex, work, or alcohol. Numbing is also called buffering because we're using external things to change how we feel. So numbing and shame leads to self-blame. Self-blame leads to diminished self-care. Often diminished self-care leads to more pain and flares because of poor nutrition or maybe medication was stopped or uh, exercise routine was changed. And that leads to increasing symptoms. And then also those symptoms and again, this blame and shame leads back to the stress and trauma triggers. Stress is a feeling of emotional and physical tension. As I discussed in the previous episodes on the podcast, it can come up from any event or thought that makes you feel frustrated, angry, or nervous. Stress is your body's reaction to a challenge or demand, something that you're unable to cope with. Here's an example of stressors that we often think of. Physical environment, traffic, work, pandemic, social or relational uh, circumstances, family, dating, caring for the kids or parents, stressful relationship with our friends, financial burdens can be a stressor, bills, cost of healthcare, disability, cost of the uh, vacations or holidays, organizational stressors uh, due to your work, government, etc., Life events uh, can also be stressful, such as divorce, but also uh, happy events like family gatherings, weddings, parenting. I will also point out that lifestyle choices and new diet is also a stressor. It is something new. It's something that can be hard to cope with. It also adds uh, changes to your routines and also puts a lot of pressure on you to perform and to to continue with it. In lifestyle choices, we also have stress from alcohol, drug abuse, also psychological or physiological stressors can be fiber flares, disease flavors, infections. So your challenge or demand for your dietary change can also be viewed as a stressor. Dr. Uma Naidu, uh, who wrote a book on This Is Your Breed on Food, she is a psychiatrist and nutritionist, wrote, all it takes is two hours worth of psychological stress to completely change the bacteria in your gut. In other words, a tense family Christmas dinner or unusually bad traffic can be enough to upset the balance of your microbiome. So if you couple history of trauma with additional stress of a new diet or anything else new, you may get negative results and impaired digestion, such as worsening IBS symptoms. So let's go over foundation of fiber nutrition. So when we have diminished self-care and and you may feel shame, blame, and you numb with substances, those circumstances and the conditions of your and the thoughts are not helpful if you want to choose nutritious foods. Because our thoughts, feelings, and actions and results are connected. Your thoughts influence your feelings that lead into actions that produce results. Your, Your diet or modification of your nutrition really starts in your thoughts. So changing your thoughts will result in better nutrition. So when we talk about fibromyalgia nutrition or nutrition in general, I want to, it's hard to suggest a specific diet that will fit everybody, uh, that will serve everybody. 
Bioindividuality is the idea that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to health and nutrition because we are all unique in our biological makeup and requirements. So each person has their own specific dietary and health needs, as well as routines, practices, and preferences that work for them. Also, remember that we're culturally different. We all come from different cultures and we have different dietary preferences based on our cultural upbringing as well as our our preferences. So, and not not counting allergies and other uh, nutritional requirements. So, your fiber diet will be different from your friend's fiber diet or your Facebook group friend's fiber diet. Your brain has different requirements than somebody else's brain. Your gut will have different microbiome than somebody else's gut. Your taste buds, your preferences, what you like, what you don't like, your allergies will be different. Someone may benefit from carnivore diet. Someone will have a vegetarian diet. Someone has to avoid all nuts or dairy. So building your diet protocol will be individual based on your preferences and needs. But let's talk in general, what are the good, better, and best foods for fibro? If you look at the power foods that you should eat if you have fibromyalgia, they should include all vegetables. Plants are essential for well-being as well as, as, well as gut microbiome. Vegetables should be the main foods of your protocol. Uh, some may have sensitivities to nightshades like potatoes, tomatoes, peppers, and eggplant, but often, but that's not as often. All fruit, especially berries, are good to eat if you're not vegetarian or vegan. All meats and eggs. Our body uh, needs protein to repair and to heal. So meats and eggs provide excellent sources of protein. Also nuts and seeds are healthy, healthy fats uh, and fermented vegetables. And the foods that you should avoid uh, should include uh, MSG or monosodium glutamate is a common additive to many foods. Also sugar and artificial sweeteners. I will have a special lecture uh, on the sugar and sweeteners. Also foods that you have sensitivity or allergy to. Also refined and processed foods. When I talk about nutrition, I always start with elimination part. When patients ask me often, what should they eat? I would start with what you should not eat. Highly processed foods and sugars have the biggest impact on your health as well as your fibro symptoms. Most patients will benefit from elimination of sugar and flour. And this can be flour such as wheat flour or any grain flour as well as almond flour, anything that's concentrated and easily digested. Sugar and and flour or refined carbohydrates are poison for brain tissue and nerves. They're also known to worsen depression, cause uh, mood swings, and also worsen fatigue. When we look at the sugar content of our foods, uh, notice that the foods that are nature-made, such as fruit or vegetables, have natural sugars, but in a limited amount. An apple will have fewer uh, natural sugars than a banana because banana is more starchy. But if you look at the foods such as donuts or pastries, they are loaded with sugar and eliminating that types of foods will be most helpful. After you eliminate all the junk and sugars, 
Uh, the next step will be to improve is to add more green vegetables. The other question people ask me, how much water should you drink? Uh, heart failure or kidney disease and you are on fluid restriction diet, it is recommended to drink about half of your body weight uh, in ounces of water. Patients ask me, well, I start drinking water and I, I start urinating frequently. I can't run to the bathroom all the time. It is a very common problem and I can tell you, so often I see patients being chronically dehydrated. Uh, they may drink a cup of water in the morning, they may have a glass of uh, iced tea or something uh, sweet with lunch and then have another drink or two in the evening. Chronic dehydration can cause worsening pain as well as stiffness in the joints, creates all kinds of health problems. I like to share an analogy uh, of a dry soil. If we didn't have any rain for a long time and, and the ground is dry, the next time the rain comes, most of the water will run off to a ditch because the, the ground is too dry to absorb all the water and the water comes too fast. If the rain was coming regularly, the water saturated the ground and more water absorbed. Same thing with our water intake. If you're chronically dehydrated and you start flooding yourself with water, most of the water will run off through urination. But if you gradually increase your water intake, your body will adjust. And over time, your urination and your intake will balance out. If you don't drink water regularly and you feel dehydrated, this would be a sign of if your urine is dark colored, if it has a strong smell, increasing water gradually, maybe by half a cup at a time every few hours, keeping track of your intake and not go from zero to 100 miles an hour quickly, will help you obtain most of the water and not produce excessive urination. So putting it all together, if you think of triggering events for myalgia that lead to anxiety, depression, uh, poor sleep, chronic pain, uh, diminished self-care, shame, self-blame, numbing or buffering, plus common trigger foods that worsen symptoms like gluten, alcohol, or dairy, and coupled with poor nutrition, malnutrition, low vitamin levels, no wonder patients don't feel good. So over the next few episodes, I'll discuss how you can develop your own dietary protocol based on your preferences and needs. So you don't have to be overwhelmed and you have an option to follow your own roadmap. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, the best thing you can do is to share with someone and leave a review and rating. This helps me support more people just like you move toward better life with fibromyalgia. All you have to do is to go to the platform you're listening on, click the share button or the icon, and just send it to a friend. I so appreciate you taking your time to do so. Make sure you sign up or subscribe to this podcast so you can get the most up-to-date information in the new episodes. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you next week. And don't forget to mind your fibro. Disclaimer, this podcast provides information only and does not provide any medical or psychological services or advice. None of the content on this podcast prevents, cures, or treats any medical or mental condition.